we begin a brand new series starting this weekend on the force of prayer. I'm excited about it because I'm going to pitch you some things that you don't hear often, and some of it's going to be fun, some of it's very encouraging, some of it's a bit swift kick in the pants, and we all need that occasionally, and it really will help change the course of your life. So I hope you can hang with us through all four of these uh, sessions that we're going to have. So this morning I'm going to talk to you about the purpose of persistent prayer. The purpose of persistent prayer. Now you know what persistent means? You don't quit. You're like getting that girl to date you. You ain't quitting. You're not giving up. You're like, I'm speaking spiritually now, you're like a stalker. You're not going to quit. Persistent. You, people think you ought to quit. Stop it. You're wasting your time. You won't. Now that is the agony and the ecstasy of that word, persistent. It's not a religious word. It's an action word. So look with me in Luke 18, verse 1 through 8, Jesus is giving a parable. Then Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. You ought to underline that in your Bible. What? Pray or give up? You only have two choices in this stinking broken world. Pray or quit. God says, I want you to always pray and never to give up. He said in a certain town there was a judge. He didn't fear God. He didn't care what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming and coming and coming to him with this plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, a long time, he refused. Finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God and I don't care what people think, because this widow keeps wearing me out. I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says. And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, no. He will see that they get justice and quickly. When the Son of Man returns, will He find such faith on earth? Now, verse 1 says why Jesus told the parable. That's important. Then Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. So there's a reason for this story. Now, I think it's a humorous story because there's two different characters here. you got a pagan, powerful judge and a pitiful, powerless widow. In verse 2, Here's the description of the judge. In a certain town, there was a judge. He didn't fear God. He didn't care about man. So this is not a warm, fuzzy guy. This is not a real merciful guy. It's not a compassionate man. He's hard. He's tough. I got the picture. You got it? Then we got the widow, verse 3. And there was a widow in the town who kept coming to him with the plea, give me justice against my adversary. Now, we don't know what her problem was, but I know this, in those days, a widow had absolutely no rights. If you were a woman, you had no rights in the ancient world. Number two, if you were a widow, it was worse. You were at the bottom of the social ladder. <laughs> but this old girl was tough. 
And I mean, she was no pushover. So she takes her problem to this tough, hard-nailed, hard-boiled judge who doesn't fear God and doesn't fear man, and he wouldn't give her what she wanted. So now we got a battle of the wills. Verse 4 and 5, for some time he refused. Finally he said to himself, even though I don't care about God or man, this widow is killing me, bothering me, wearing me out. I'm going to see that she gets justice just to get rid of her. So this little widow's got no, no weapon, just the weapon of persistence, that refusal to give up. She kept going back and going back and going back, badgering him. Finally, he figures he's met his match, and exhausted, he gives in. He says, because she keeps bothering me, I will see she gets justice, so she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. So she's aggressive. She's taking action. She's not passive. She's not sucking her thumb. She's not, she's not wailing and crying. She just keeps asking and asking and asking. And finally, just for peace and quiet, the old judge caves in. So let me pause here. Is God saying that's how we treat God? We're supposed to wear Him down with our prayer? Well, abs no, no, but that's not the point. Uh, until finally God says, offer peace and quiet to get you off my back, I'll answer your prayer. No, 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 no. This is a comparison by contrast story. He says, if a heartless pagan judge who fears nothing will help you out, how much more can we count on God who loves us to help us out? He said, if you could turn the heart of this pagan who has no fear of God, it ain't that hard to get me, God is saying, and I love you. Verse 7, will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see they get justice, and they get it quickly. So the point of this story is that God's eager to answer our prayers. He's certainly willing. <clears throat> we don't have to pester and complain and beg and beg. God is saying, I'm not like that judge. I'm eager to answer your prayer. So the question arises this morning, why be persistent? Why should I keep on praying when it doesn't seem to occur on my timetable? Nothing occurs on my timetable. How about you? I want instant everything. I wouldn't wait in a line for free money. I, it's just a weakness of my character. I am impatient. I don't like waiting. Well, welcome to the kingdom of God, because you're going to wait. And I'm telling you, you can scream in tongues, you can pray faster, you can pray louder, you can lay down, you can get in a fetal I've watched Christian do some of the weirdest stuff. And here's the issue. If God isn't going to do it, He ain't going to do it. And if He is going to do it, He will do it, but He'll do it on His time, not yours. So just relax. Some of you got to get a hernia uh, uh, with some of the activity I see. This is not the nature and character of our God. Uh, you know, if it isn't on your table in 15 minutes, lunch is free. We, that, that, that's, that's the culture we live in in America. Get it online quicker, fast, delivery, overnight service, express, uh, check out quick, H-E-B, express lane, express, 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 except 281, it ain't express, right? <laughs> Come on. Yeah, everything's fast, except God. 
But when he does answer, it's quick. It really is quick. But here, let me, let me give you this. Here are four things persistent prayer does. You may not have thought about it. Ready? Number one, persistent praying helps me focus on God. I have to. Not to remind God, but to remind me where the source of the answer is going to come from. God wants me to remember He alone is the source of my answer to prayer. Philippians 4.19, my God will meet all my need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So God wants me to see Him alone as the source of my need. You know, when you have to pray about something over and over, you start, you start having to look only to God. Help, help, help. Persistent prayer focuses my attention. Have you discovered we like to look to everybody else to solve our problem except the Lord? And by the time we seek the Lord, we've already been to every guru in town about looking for help. We look to our friends, our family, counselors. We look to the government. We look to anybody except God. Psalms 105, verse 4, look to the Lord, go to Him for help. You got it? Look to the Lord. Go to Him for help. So God will often delay an answer to force you to focus on Him. Now some of you are what I call a crisis Christian. You only pray in a crisis. So guess what? God will make sure you live in a crisis, because He wants to hear from you. And if that's the only time He's going to hear from you, buckle up and get ready. You're going to stay in a crisis. Second reason. Persistent praying clarifies my requests. A delayed answer will often give you time to clarify what you really want. Jesus walked up to a man sick 38 years at the pool of Bethesda, and he asked this strange question. You want to be well? Maybe all he wanted was food, some money, a warmer blanket, a better bed. What a question, because everybody doesn't want to be well, whether it's physical or emotional. They want attention. They just want the itch to go away. They don't want to solve the problem. Because if you get well, you can't get a handicap sticker. You don't get a government subsidy. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to be responsible. And everybody's not going to be coming sucking up to you as the victim. Well, I think I'll just stay here. And a lot of people, I've had relatives like that. They enjoyed their infirmity. Everybody has to come and pet them. So Jesus says, what do you want? He asked a blind man, Bartimaeus, what do you want? A warmer blanket? Ten bucks? Or do you want to see? And boy, old, old Barnabas, he didn't, have a, he didn't have one split second to delay. He said, Lord, that I might see. God says, see. And he did. Well, that'll be an optometrist any day, huh? I like that. So most of our prayers are vague. Lord, I need, I need more money. Okay, here's a quarter. Well, well no, I, I need a lot of money. Well, be specific. <laughs> Clarify what you want. Sometimes a blessing happens to be a problem. Is that what you're praying for? God, give me lots of problems. Be specific. Lord, I just want a husband. Well, what kind? One that don't work? One that got a job? What? what? Be specific. What do you? I want one that's an engineer. I want an architect. I, I want somebody who's this. You know, get beyond warm and breathing. Get a little more specific. <laughs> Come on, somebody, help me out there. Well, 
delay allows you time to clarify what you really want. Do I really want it? Because what you find, it's a test. How badly do I want it? If I don't want something more than to pray for it one or two times, I sure don't want it very bad. It's a test. Listen to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 19. God says, I will test them as gold is tested. Then they will pray, and I will answer them. So time separates a deep longing from just a mere emotional whim. Is this an earnest desire or just some passing fad? I prayed for things, and during the delay, I decided after a long time, I didn't really need that, didn't really want that. It wasn't what I really needed. So a delay is not denial, it's just a test. How long can you wait? That's the mark of maturity. Christians are like tea bags. You don't know what they're like till you put them in hot water. Then what comes out tells you what's inside the praise of the Lord. And we'll find out. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's in a test you find out what people, people well, I love you. I, oh, really? Well, we'll find out. We'll see. Wait till trouble comes and we'll see who loves you. Yeah. Whether it's a marriage or whether it's a church or whether it's anything else. Those words are cheap, and they don't mean a thing until you're tested. God even tells the church authorities, don't lay hands on anybody, don't put anybody in, in pastoral service until they've been tested. Put them under some problems, give them a setback, cut their pay, increase responsibility, hold them accountable, and then if they don't bail over a period of time, you might have something. <laughs> some of you are sc scrolling through your life thinking, hmm, maybe that's me. So God will delay the answer to test you. Do you really want it? It's not that He doesn't want to give it to you. He says, no good thing will I withhold from him who walks uprightly. He wants to know, do you really want it? Do you want it bad enough to keep praying? And many times during the delay, you find you modify your prayer. It gets a little clearer. It gets a little more focused. Uh, Lord, I want to help thousands of people. I want to challenge religious legalism and bondage. I want people to go free. I want thousands of people. Now, there are a lot of people that want to pray that to be famous or to be wealthy. And I've clarified that over my 30 years founding this church to where I really just want a healthy, vibrant, exciting, explosive church that helps people live life bold, good, puts people together, heals marriages, gives people vision, focus, helps them overcome addictions, and to really believe, hey, this is God who really can do anything, really has a good purpose for me, loves the heck out of me, and is for me, and you don't have to get real religious about it. And I want thousands of people to hear that. And I've had more and more clear focus as, that, as I've aged and as I've grown up a little bit better and realized it's not about increasing just your square footage or the horsepower of your car or, or something. It's, it, it's about people. It, that's the real focus. Lord, I want every unfilled seat full. God, I want the house. Jesus said that my house may be full. So I don't want to be looking to the fabric family. I want people. And that means we all got a job to do. He says, go out into the highways and hedges, compel people. To get on it. Get them to come with you. Offer to buy them lunch. Don't be a cheapskate. I've done that a hundred times. Get people, hey, and you're going to lunch with us right after the service. Come on, you're going to have fun. We're doing something. You can do it all the time. I can't get out and meet all the people you know. So get on the deal. Don't wait for them to show up. I'm not cute enough. I'm sorry. I wish I was. I'm not. My brother on the keyboard back here looks like a fullback 
for, for, I wish he was on the Dallas Cowboy, and he has got a tender heart, a real sweet spirit, and a huge body. I told my wife, I said, if I looked like him, I'd get up here and preach with no shirt. <laughs> yeah, well, it ain't happening, so don't worry about it. Jeremiah 29, verse 13, you will seek me, I will, and you will find me when? When you seek me with all your heart. Got it? Nothing worthwhile is accomplished with a half-hearted effort or a half-hearted prayer. Oh, God, I think I'd really like this, maybe. Forget it. If you're double-minded, you're not going to get anything from the Lord. He says so. Can't make up your mind? Well, I think maybe. Well, I'm not sure. A double-minded man. If a guy—girls, if you are an option to a guy you're dating, don't make him a priority for you, right? No. I don't want a double—well, he's still got girlfriends on the side that he talks to while he's dating me. Well, forget this. Unless you just need him as a boy toy, you forget this. I mean, can we talk? How dumb is that? I'm going to give you my best, and I'm only an option, not a chance. If this dude can't make up his mind, if he wants me or her or her or her, or he wants this or he wants that, he's not good enough to carry me into a future. Sorry. I'm not hitching up my wagon to you, dude. Take a hike. So God says, seek me with all your heart. He wants to know if you really want it. So persistent prayer helps me focus on God. Number two, helps me clarify my request. Number three, prepares me for an answer. Prepares me for an answer. Usually, usually God wants to do a lot more than you're praying for. He wants to do it bigger, and He wants to do it greater. He wants to do more. Listen to Ephesians 3, verse 20. Glory to God, who by His mighty power at work within us is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. Now, think if you can ask it, He says, I can do more. Come on, ask big. He said, if you can think it, I think bigger. Think bigger. Some of you do not, you're not stretched. You need to, you need to be like a woman at nine months. You need to stretch your thinking, your vision, your focus. Come on, baby. Stretch it out there. Yeah, that's what God says. And we pray these pygmy little prayers of just get by. I just want to pay the rent for this month. That ain't big enough. I want to pay it off. I want to own it. I want, I, get, get, Lord, give me a gainful employment or a husband that got a great job, and I want to have some security for my kids and a backyard farm to play in. It may not be in dominion, but it's going to be clean, it'll be safe, and it's mine. Pray that way. You know, pray, pray specific. You think, God, well, I don't want to ask for too much. Well, baby, you're not. Apparently, you're not. Test me, God says. Come on. God, God promised, that, call on me, I will answer you, and do great and mighty things you know not. Somehow, somebody got to get the lid off some of your lives. Like, well, God didn't want me to ask for too much. Show me in the Bible where He says that, don't ask for too much. I'll eat the page and take my shirt off. It's not in there. <laughs> yeah, looking at my wife, I'll probably have to take a taxi cab home, but that's all right. <laughs> That'll end that. But, 
But I'm just serious. I mean, I'm just serious. I'm thinking, depending on the culture you're raised in, you've got to get out of your culture, whether it was a poverty culture or a small-minded culture or a tight legalistic religious culture, and get into a kingdom mentality. God says, hey, the limits are off, baby. If you can think it, if you can dream it, you can, I can do it. But I can't do a thing if you don't want it and you're not clear about it and you're not willing to pay the price to get it and to persist. So God wants to do it bigger. Sometimes we ask for a small blessing, God denies it. Why? He wants to do something a lot bigger, do a lot greater, and He needs time to get you ready for it. I'm thankful that some of my prayers have not been answered on my time schedule. I would not have been ready for them at the time. God had to prepare me for something different. Now, there are changes that God wants to make in me and in you, of course. I hear people say, and I know if you've ever been around church, you've heard it, prayer changes things, and that sounds so cute. That's true. But prayer first changes you, and God is more interested in you than changing the circumstances. He wants to make changes in your life, and often that's why there's a delay. So true story. True confession, living in Savannah, Georgia, on a gated community, on a golf course, you can Google it, Skidaway Island, absolutely breathtaking. Azaleas, moss in the trees, deer, alligators, uh, uh, wild turkeys, absolutely breathtaking place to live with my wife, and we lived there, enjoyed every moment of it. And God through my activity in the church was calling me to start a church. I had no desire to do that at all. I, I was import-exporting, lots of money in that. Uh, I'd like to have a little townhouse in Monte Carlo. And hey, I'm a, I didn't start out like some of you thinking that little. I'm thinking big, big, big. That's just a little getaway place. That's what I'm talking about. And so he's working on me. I don't feel qualified. I don't feel worthy. I do the same run through you do, like Moses, like everybody else, like Gideon. You know, I'm not the guy. I'm not the get some pick somebody. Pick Bobby Davis. Don't pick me. Pick, pick somebody else. Uh, I, I'm not the guy. I didn't want the job. I had a stereotyped image of a bunch of uh, baby kissing, long fingernailed, manicured, hair sprayed, uh, uh, flower boutonniere preachers that I thought, dear God, I'd rather work on a street than do that. I, I, I don't want to be like that. But I didn't have to be. But I didn't know it at the time. And so I had that fear and phobia. No, no, no. I'll make a lot of money and just give it to you, Lord. I'll, I love God. I love the church. I'm a tither. I give above the tither. I'll, be, I'll knock her down. God said, that's not what I asked you. I want you. And I fought this sucker for two and a half years. And here's what happened. I was, I had just taken a shipment from Germany on Lufthansa. I would import Mercedes and Porsches and luxury exotic cars because at that time in the 60s, the Deutschmark was half the dollar. I could actually buy that car at half price, bring it over, and it'd be fully warranted by, by Porsche, Mercedes-Benz of North America, or BMW, and, and it was called the gray market feel. And Pretty soon the dealers got real mad about it later on because they were, they were getting outsold by people going to Europe and buying those cars. So I'd come home, I'd cut the price $5,000, give a man a great deal, i pocket the money, life was good. I had 12 of those suckers in my driveway. And then I couldn't sell one of them. 
I couldn't give it away. I couldn't get any answer. I prayed. I fasted. I got up. I laid in the kitchen table. I told, I told Cindy, my energy is gone. I said, what are we going to I've got uh, almost $300,000 in vehicles sitting in my front yard. What am I going to do? <laughs> and so I just kept doing the religious thing, praying, praying, interceding, quoting Scripture, writing them down putting it on a legal pad. I mean, I did everything you can think of. Nothing. Dead silent. Nothing. No radio contact at all. <laughs> so I remember one day I just told my wife, I said, honey, I'm just going to go ahead and say yes to God. <laughs> now, you talk, about, you talk about fast. We sold our house in a week, never negotiated a dollar. All 12 cars disappeared in 30 days, didn't negotiate one bill. I thought, where have you been? What? You could have done this two years ago. What is going on? See, the delay wasn't a denial. The delay was to say, I want your heart. I want your obedience. And you're rebellious and stubborn. And yep, that was me. A little bit of me still. And, I, and he said, when you say yes, aha, as soon as I make the change in my life, Boom! The answer comes like it was just waiting to get out of a cage. See, for answered prayer, it's not a matter of waiting on God. It's sometimes a matter of God waiting on you. And you can pray and fast and pray in tongues and do anything you want, and nothing's going to happen. Not if God's wanting to change something in you. Now, remember, that doesn't apply to every single person all the time, but that's a consideration. When we're ready, the doors of heaven open up, the answer comes. So prayer is not a tug-of-war with God where you're trying to convince Him. Our struggle primarily is with ourselves. Uh, you know, God delays to help me focus on Him. He delays to clarify my request. He delays so He can prepare me for the answer. And fourth, persistent praying strengthens my faith. Prayer goes with faith hand in hand. It's called the prayer of faith. Pray, faith is like a muscle. Some of you don't know what that is, but you had one. It grows by being stretched, and you've never stretched until you have to wait. Oh, dear Jesus. Boy, that's when your faith is stretched. Praying persistently is a faith-building exercise. Waiting tests your faith. A mark of maturity is how long can you wait? Abraham was a hundred. Mama's 90 waiting on a baby. How long can you wait? Some of you aren't good for a week. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap the harvest if we don't give up. Again, over and over, pray. Don't give up. Persist. Hang on. Be patient. The harvest is coming. Don't give up. Look up. So make it—understand that the waiting is building the faith muscle. Okay. Some, some years ago, uh, uh, Michael, Michael Vieto, loved dearly. Mike was a, was a great member of our church and uh, was with the phone company. He later got a full-time offer from a, a church. At the time he resigned from the phone company, we didn't have an opening, and I really hated to, to see him go. He's still a wonderful friend, comes to our events. But 
Mike got convicted about his weight and decided he was going to join the gym, the same gym I go to. So he got a cute outfit by Nike, got the cute shorts, shoes, got the jersey. Man, looking good. Walking around just looking like a real uh, a gym member, you know. <laughs> and occasionally he'd be carrying a basketball and do this, and he'd walk around, see me on a machine or pressing some weights and talk about what I'm doing. I said, Mike, your drawers are not going to fall off of you because you're wearing them clothes walking around this gym. This is not a supernatural atmosphere in here. You actually have to put your rear end on a seat or on a machine, and you're going to have to sweat. And Mike was so funny. I mean, I loved to pick on him and tease him, but he kind of, he just got all dressed up, joined, and nothing happened. You can't, you can't build muscle that way. You, now, here's the, here's the thing about your faith. You can't compare your chapter 1 to my chapter 20, right? And God doesn't expect that. You, you've got to start with chapter 1, and that means in the gym, in the physical, you might have to pick up the pink 20-pound dumbbells. And for you, that might be a stretch. But if you continue to do it, you'll find over the weeks, ah, that's easy. And your trainer or somebody that gave you says you're going to do four reps or three reps, and you're just exhausted at the end of that. And then one day you're in there, and it didn't stretch you at all. Well, guess what? They up the weight. Now you're up to another weight, whether you're bench pressing or curling or whatever you're doing. And what's happening is you're building muscle. You're stretching it. It puts scar tissue on there. It builds the muscle with some thickness. I'm not an expert at this, but I know it hurts. <laughs> and that's good. That's good. And usually people after the first day quit because they wake up the next morning hurting. But you're building your faith, and they don't come back. So I'm just trying to say, you, you can't let chapter 1 compare to chapter 20, but start with something. I remember starting to tithe. My tithe was $2.50 a week. It wasn't much, but I started somewhere. And then, as I watched God always supply my need, I, I, and I made more money, I stepped up. And then I started giving above my tithe. And then occasionally we had like our Halloween event coming up. We, our church would have a special event, needed giving money above our normal giving to support it. And I remember by faith, reached stepping out. So I didn't get to where I am in giving cars and money away in one sermon. It's been a walk of years and training in the spiritual gym of being faithful in a little and then a little more and then a little more. You're not going to walk up and lay hands and cure stage four cancer on somebody if you can't get rid of a headache. If you can't handle $100, you're not going to get 1000 Jesus said, if you're unfaithful with a little, you ain't going to be a, you'll be a turkey with more. So you're not going to get more. So you have to start somewhere. So you start where you are. And little by little, you've got to kill a lion and a bear before you get a giant. You have to be faithful with a few sheep before God, like David, gives him a nation. You don't just walk out and ba-boom, you're a success. You work at this thing, little by little by little, and then pretty soon, things you used to doubt, you, you're faced with them in your family, your marriage, your children, your health. You don't even sweat it. So I've been to this rodeo before. I got this bull lassoed. I can ride this baby. I've already ridden it before. I know how this is going down. You walk in bold. You walk in confident. Why? You, you've built your faith to that area. And if you want to keep growing, you've got to challenge a new giant. Challenge something you haven't done before, and pretty soon you're just a blessing to be around because nothing intimidates you. 
right? I had a lawyer tell me that one time years ago. He said, you, nobody intimidates you, do they? I said, no, not you, that's for sure. <laughs> no. No, I'm just saying, you don't get there accidentally. So let's not be weary in well-doing, for in proper time, in due time, King James says. How many women know that you have a due date when you're pregnant, and you wish it was shorter? And then you're not even happy about it by the night. Oh, God, get this thing out. Uh, you know, it was really cute when you had your cute little shower and your little nice little outfit. But And modesty, you wouldn't care if you were laying on the sidewalk. You say, come out. You come out in Jesus' name. I don't care who's looking. Come out. My illustrations are so spiritual, aren't they? I, I know. Okay, if you were a, an elephant, your due date would be three years. Yeah, thank you. And all the women said, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, if you're a cat, it's six weeks, I think, or maybe a puppy. I'm not sure. But for women in the human race, it's generally about nine months. You have a due date. And so there is a due date. In due time and a due date, you will reap if you don't give up. So there's a due date waiting on you out there, and you quit before you get there. So I'm praying on I'm praying for the expansion of our church. I'm praying to rip that curtain down and have another 2,500 up there. I'm praying and believing, and then I try to do my best each time, but in confidently praying. You say, well, when are you going to give up? I ain't giving up when I die, okay, when I'm taken up. I read the story of Reese Howells. You can Google him, or you can get a book on him in any Christian bookstore. Reese Howes was a missionary to Africa. When he was in England, God called him to go to Africa. He had no money. So he, in faith, is just waiting on tickets to get to London so he can get on a ship to Africa. One day God said to him, Reese, what would you do if you had the money? He said, I'd go to London, then I'd get on a ship, and I'd go to Africa. God says, well, am I the source of all your needs? Yes, Lord. Okay, then go. Well, they announced to everybody in their church, they're leaving. They're going to Africa knowing they only had enough money to get a train to go 50 miles out of town. So the church gave them a big farewell party. They bought the tickets, went 50 miles from home, and that was it. They got off the train. They're sitting in the train station feeling very foolish. You know, God said, step out in faith, and we've done it, but nothing's happened. What are we going to do now? So God said to Reese, well, if you had the money, what would you do now? Well, I'd buy a ticket. God says, get in line. So there was a line of 18 people, and he got in the line. He stood there until the line got smaller and smaller. Now he's thinking, what am I going to do when I get to the counter? Well, he got within two people in front of him, and all of a sudden the guy in front of him wheeled around and said, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to go. Here, you can have my money. And he walked out. And the guy left, and Reese bought the tickets and went to Africa. <laughs> Whew! He has some incredible stories in his life like that. God's timing was perfect. So God's delays are not necessarily a denial. They're there to get you to focus on God, to clarify your vision. They're there to prepare you for a greater blessing than you are even asking for. The longer you wait, the greater the miracle, the stronger your faith gets, and they're there to strengthen and test and challenge and develop your faith. So Jesus concludes this parable in verse 8. I tell you quickly, he will see justice. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, wasn't he talking about prayer in the story? Well, why is he now talking about faith? Because faith and prayer go together. This story is not just about praying persistently, it's about having faith. So why does he mention faith? 
because the size of my prayer determines the size of my God. Do you have a big God or a pygmy God? Look at your prayer life. What are you praying for? Something dipstick tiny, something you could accomplish basically with the help from a friend or in your own power. But if you got a big God, you got big prayer requests. Your persistence demonstrates your faith. Faith and prayer go together. Anytime there's a delay, listen, it's a takeaway. <clears throat> Anytime there's a delay, you can know two things are going on. Number one, God is testing your faith. Number two, Satan is contesting your faith. Daniel prayed to God in captivity. God instantly dispatched an angel. The prince of Persia, a principality, a very powerful demonic ruler, rejected and hindered that angel from getting to Daniel with the answer. Twenty-one days. And God sent Michael, the archangel of war, knocked down the prince of Persia, brought the answer to Daniel, and gives us a word to encourage us in the New Testament. We get to hear him write in Scripture, God heard you when you first made the request, Daniel. And he gave him the reason there was a delay. Daniel did not stop persisting in his prayer. He didn't understand the delay, but there was a satanic attack going on. God does not, uh, Satan does not want you to fulfill your purpose. He does not want you to win. He doesn't want you to be happy. He doesn't want your marriage to be good. He doesn't want your children to turn out right. He wants your life to suck. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So that's going on too while you're praying. He doesn't want us to burst out and set captives free. He wants to keep everything small, contained, limited. But God's always crying out, enlarge the place of your habitation. Stretch out your tent pegs. Make them large. Oh, I like that, you know? Think big. Get a big dream. Get a big vision. So how quickly do you give up when the answer is not immediate? Do you lose heart? Do you want to quit? Faith persist. How do you pray persistently? In Luke 11, Jesus told one more parable. Same truth we just looked at in Luke 18. It's about keep on praying and don't give up. Luke 11, verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be open. And by the way, seek, ask, and knock in the Greek are continuous action verbs. It means keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, and it will be given to you. You will find. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be open. Keep on knocking. Which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? Or if he asked for an egg, you'd give him a scorpion. And we're thinking that's a rhetorical question, meaning, well, no, nobody would do that. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give to you who ask him? If we know how to bless our kids, how much more does the Heavenly Father know how to bless me? Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. How many people would you talk to on the phone if you only let it ring once? Not much. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Not to convince God, not to wear him down, but for your benefit, right? I remember a story about Daniel Boone from Kentucky. 
He traveled all over the wilderness. One day a man asked him, Daniel, you ever been lost? Boone said, no, never been lost. I've been bewildered a lot of times for days, sometimes up to a couple of weeks, but I just kept on going. That's a good lesson. Ever felt that way? Bewildered. You don't know what in the heck's going on, but you kept on going. You just powered through. You know, two, two weeks ago, I, I stood up and preached with walking pneumonia, joy to the world. I hadn't been sick, and I can't remember when, but I didn't, I didn't uh, like a lot of Christians, well, I had a bad night. I ain't going to church. I know we pray for the sick, but I'll stay home. No, I didn't tell anybody I had walking pneumonia. I just said, if I cough, please forgive me. And I think I only coughed twice. And I just powered on through that thing, you know. And I, but at the same time, I took my medicine, and I was praying. And I had some, a couple of close friends praying for me. I didn't get up and say, oh, Lord, get everybody to pray for me. I don't feel good. I'd never preach if I had to wait till I felt good. And most of you never show up if you had to wait till you feel good. A lot of you don't. You only show up when you feel good, and that's kind of sad. <laughs> I tell you what, the secret to success is keep on going. Keep on going. Successive performance. You keep sustaining your performance. You're a good husband when you don't feel like being good, and when you feel like there's no emotion in it at all. Marriage and leadership are, are very much alike in that they're not always sexy and they're not always exciting. How about a good amen? Yeah. But you press on through. I still open the door for my wife. I'll still carry something. I'll, tell you, I'll take that out for you. May I get that for you? Whatever. And it might not be in the juiciest mood I happen to feel about Miss Cindy. And I'm sure she could tell you the same thing when she would like to say drop dead to me. <laughs> but she still, you do the right thing, and you do it in season or out of season, whether you feel good or you don't feel good, and you ultimately will whip everybody. You will ultimately succeed in whatever you attempt. Bring value to the table. You can't just pray, love God, worship God when you feel good. When you feel crappy, that's when you really need to praise Him and get your ugly self in here, your pretty self, whatever it is. So your marriage is on the rocks. You've been praying for months, maybe a couple of years, ready to quit, but you keep on going. Everybody's felt like quitting. You can't find the right job. You're facing an illness, serious illness. You're stuck at home with diapers all over the house. You feel like this widow, powerless, hopeless, and helpless. Here's the point of the story. Don't give up. Don't give up. Look up. Don't cave in to discouragement. It's perseverance that wins the crown. Expect a breakthrough. Expect a miracle. It's worth another try. And that's what God's saying to us. We ought always to pray and never to give up. So what is it causing you to want to give up today? What do you want to give up on? yourself, your marriage, your job, your dream? Do you want to give up on God? You know, what is it that doesn't seem fair in your life? God never said life would be fair. It's hard. In this life you shall have tribulation. God says, don't give up. You look up. You pray. You focus on me, and you don't quit. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.